Chapter 8. AI's Impact on Society, Governments and the Public Sector. Part 1. Now that we have a much better frame of reference of AI's revolutionary transformation on the world and its people across multiple industries, it is time to consider AI's impact on society, governments and the public sector. We also know that the potential benefits of AI for society and social good are substantial, but also that it poses appreciable risks, concerns and challenges for society that we need to counter. Similar to the business industries, AI is also transforming the public sector, but more focus on improving public services delivery, bureaucratic efficiency, as well as public safety and security. Given AI's projected contribution to the global economy over the next few years, which is in the order of multi-trillions of dollars, as well as its enormous potential to unlock value, many countries see AI as a game-changer and are getting their governmental AI strategies and policies in place to adopt and embrace AI in a meaningful way. AI's Impact on Society There is no doubt that smart technology is having a profound transformative impact on society as a whole, with all embracing economic, political, legal, ethical and regulatory implications and will ultimately impact every citizen around the globe as well as challenge and change the way we live our lives in the smart technology era. As we enter this new phase of civilization, we see an increasingly instrumented and quantified society that is surrounded by a massive proliferation of smarter, more capable, more connected and ubiquitous systems and devices that enhance productivity, create conveniences and help us to solve problems. In previous chapters, we have already seen how AI as a strategically exponential smart technology is transforming our world and economy at a rapid pace with a range of applications across multiple industries and sectors. Even though AI can have a tremendously beneficial impact on society, business and the economy, there are also risks, concerns and challenges that we need to address, such as losing jobs, ensuring human agency and not losing control, data abuse, dependence locking, and societal disorder and harm through various mechanisms. It also forces us to strategically rethink society and ask questions about our identity, who we are, what we do, what is private, what we own, what we consume, how we spend our time, how and what skills do we develop, what we learn, how we work, how we play, what we do about our health, how we relate to one another, how we communicate and interact with one another, how we want to be augmented, and how we want to be governed. The socio-technical impact of AI necessitates the establishment of new frameworks for digital governance, where people are empowered through transparent and collaborative decision-making, involving multiple stakeholders across the spectrum of society to reshape our social, political, cultural and economic environments. We have the opportunity and ability to direct and shape AI and smart technology in such a way that reflects our common human-centric objectives, values and shared sense of destiny, as well as emphasizes and complements human capacities such as creativity, compassion, empathy, meaningful engagement, stewardship, cooperation and reflection. So what are the effects of AI on us? To answer this question, it may help to think about what the effects of steel were at the time of the Industrial Revolution. 
The invention of steel gave the world a tool that would quickly change the entire world. It had no power or meaning in itself, aside from helping humans achieve their goals. It was humans who saw a need and thus found a tool that had value to our need to progress and grow. Steel was transformative. It fulfilled a massive transformative purpose for growth, production and globalization, to make things easier for us, to help us. It was an ease use for so many different things, each forming part of its transformative power, still felt today. In our cars, our appliances, the industrial machines we take for granted, steel is an integral part of the society we know. The same can be said of electricity. AI, like steel or electricity, is a technological advancement or a tool that is changing the world. It may not be something we can touch as we might touch steel or plug into electricity, but just as we have progressed, so have our tools. Our tools fulfill a need, and the need AI fulfills is to allow us to be less reliant on heavy machinery and structures to learn, trade, make decisions, grow, and have a continuous stream of insights to be better at what we do and how we do it. If AI can be seen in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, AI is the self-actualization to steel safety. We needed steel first. We needed to build physical structures before we could break free into a new world where physical structures alone are not enough and in some ways unnecessary to reach our true potential. What we mean when we say unnecessary is that it is no longer necessary to have a physical room with a doctor in order to have a consultation. It is not even necessary, in common cases, to have a physical doctor present. What is necessary is a smartphone and an AI-powered medical application that asks us questions, takes our temperature and scans our symptoms. We have moved away from physical reliance to have our basic needs met. Smart technology has done that for us. And due to the fact that it can be anywhere at any time, every single person with a smartphone and internet has access to it. AI and the smart technology that accompanies it are steel on steroids. How does AI affect us? It affects our productivity. It affects the effort and time we take to complete daily tasks. It affects the way we search for information or tap into knowledge bases. It affects our understanding of complex problems and how they fit together. It affects our understanding of the brain. It affects our privacy. It affects our transparency. It affects our ethics. It affects the public services we expect. It is already omnipresent in so many respects as it taps into a globalized, hyper-connected world where the urgency to keep up increases all the time. There is a constant string of new products processes, tools, and platforms to improve, enhance, reinvent, and disrupt our lives. Thomas Friedman divides our reactions to this into two, those who are overwhelmed, displaced, and fearful, and those who are inspired by and flowing with the changes. The truth is that there is probably a mixture of both of these reactions in all of us. It also depends on things like how exposed we are, and the momentum around us to adopt new technologies, buy new things, and trade our comfort zones so often that being uncomfortable becomes our comfort zone. The tricky thing about globalization is that it only refers to the parts of the globe that easily connect, interact, and share with the rest of the globe. 
So, if people who are easily exposed struggle to keep up with the constant global changes, what about those who are not actually included in them or receive only bits of the advancement, often delayed? Most of the inventions, add-ons and advancements are usually born from the same list of already developed and advanced countries, those assumed to be included in the term globalization. Thomas Friedman, Yuval Harari, and many thinkers and commentators of our time believe it is our responsibility to ensure that we do not leave people behind. What we need to think about now is how to do it. How do we make a promise we can keep that globalization, the digital economy, and smart technology will make the world a better place for all? Some later chapters hope to answer some of these questions. The innovation of the world is consistently arising from the same main pockets and some emerging nations. Different parts of the world are finding themselves at very different levels of digitization and advancement, while some of the more advanced and developed world are empowered by mobility, knowledge and smart technology. The gaps in the way people across countries with historically different cultures and ways of life are substantially decreased. We may, in fact, have more similarities between the digitally included in China and America. We historically possess different ways to value the world, different spiritual beliefs and different ways of living than between a rural farmer in China and someone from Beijing. What we are noticing is that religions, locations or cultures are no longer our largest separators, but digitization, digital literacy, the opportunities it provides, and knowledge it allows. The danger of not doing this is, without catastrophizing it, socio-economic disaster, further exclusion, and deepening the relatability gap. This gap is based on varying experiences of the world. While this is assumed, and often based on an area's natural resources, rich in culture, values, and priorities that are in no way threatening to one another, experiences of the world and of life are becoming so different that there may soon not be much that we can relate to. We are already living lives hard to relate through mere class, culture and priorities. If we add total digitization of the way some of us live our lives while others do not know what the internet is, we are failing. Acceleration in the topic of globalization guides our thoughts towards the effects of development on people's lives. Thomas Friedman, in Thank You for Being Late, an optimist guide to thriving in the age of acceleration and related presentations, talks about being in the middle of three non-linear revolutions at the same time that all contribute to the growing divide. There are people who can get on a new economy and people who feel shut out, where people and wall people. These revolutions include market, digital globalization, mother nature, climate change, biodiversity loss, population growth, and Moore's law, speed and power of microchips doubles every 18 to 24 months. Even as it is closer to 30 months, the power of creation, invention, and development means that the world around us is changing and is allowed to change very quickly. Some people can keep up, relearn, retool, and re-engineer, and others are lost and dislocated by it. The struggle is between these two groups of people. There are of course some people who are wholly unaware of the changes and are not giving the chance to feel dislocated. The result, however, is the same, a world split in two. 
The things that anchor us in the world seem to be under threat. The way we have done things, seen things at work, at home and in our communities is changing. Neuroscience shows as it maps our brain's response to change that when faced with change we fear, we resist, we want desperately to go back. This is not a reaction of the weak-minded. It is the very human reaction that stems from the way our brains are wired. Knowing this, how are we managing these changes? We have change management in organizations, which is still not as commonplace as it should be. But we do not have change management for entire countries. In the age of knowledge, and all the knowledge we have, why are we not using this knowledge to navigate our path towards a digital world? AI? Robots? Of course, people are scared. Rational or not, they are scared. Perhaps many of these fears that seem justified or founded in threats or real situations are just the same as the fears in our personal lives. We want to take a risk, but given time to think about it, we will convince ourselves of all the reasons it is a bad idea. We may even be onto something, but the truth is we have no idea. Our fear of the generalist future, the future of communication, of work, of our everyday lives is the same as our own personal fears. Will our marriage last? Will we have enough money in 10 years time? Will we lose our job? Will we get sick? It is all just fear. Knowing this, why is our biggest investment not in psychology? Helping people face all the unknowns. Helping people deal with their natural responses to a completely unknown future. What are we doing? All these developments, smart technology, will all be nothing if the world is too scared to adopt it. Organizations have seen this problem so many times. We invest in a change or technology and it is not adopted. It lands up being a massive waste of money and time because we have not thought about people. We have not considered their psychology. We have not thought about how to manage the change. That is one issue when it comes to people. The other, as we have discussed above, is that the world is divided based on this fear. The division is dangerous to societies, economies, inequality and human rights. Managing fear is just one of the ways we can prevent this. What about education? What about directing our inventions towards solving age-old problems that we finally have the capacity to solve? So what is AI doing for society? AI is doing many wonderful things for society, including where AI is improving access, solving problems, and enhancing the daily lives of all civilians. But as with any good, we need to see the adverse side too, which will be discussed further later in this chapter, particularly also where they are unintentional. The unintentional effects of the machines we are teaching are most important to understand whereas the more obvious applications like weapons, spying equipment and job displacement do not need much explanation as why they are problematic. Some of you may remember the Google walkout of November 2018. A large group of international Google employees staged a walkout at the same time to stand up against unethical decision making within the organization. These Google employees were drawing attention to the lack of diversity in Google and how this lack of diversity was leading to decisions that not only favored white men within the organization, but this bias was expressed in the smart technology and machine learning algorithms that were being developed. 
What is worse is that the world did not know how their data was being used, what the effects of these lines of development and use were, and if any rights were being violated or merely forgotten. This translates into a world, cultures, organizations, and leaders who are mostly run by white men now infiltrating this culture into machines used on a global scale and entrenching these biases further into society. Google is not the only organization or institution experiencing this. And granted, it is not only white men who are exercising their power or exposing their biases. In the cases of Africa and Asia, these biases will be perpetuated by the most powerful people in society. Whatever their color, culture or creed, this view infiltrates society, favoring and benefiting those who are already advantaged and have power. While we will discuss this further later in the book, these effects on society due to organizational, governmental and institutional decision-making, even without AI, tend to favor the groups who hold the power, while ensuring that they keep that power, take care of themselves and advance their causes and cures. Let us focus less on the problems and more on the solution. What could AI be doing for society? This needs to start with the question, what can humans do for society? In this, we need to be aware of what we are doing wrong, the obvious and the less obvious, and then find new ways to create societies that favor all groups, not just the groups who have the power and the means to create, invent, make laws and develop. John Rawls, a social and political philosopher, had an idea of how we may go about doing this. In his A Theory of Justice, Rawls argues that it is normal to disagree on how to live. These disagreements come from how we live, what we know, our immediate environment, what we are trying to protect, and what we have learned. Often they arrive from sheer luck or chance that we were born white instead of black, in a hospital instead of a shack to a family who showed love and had the means to protect us, instead of in squalor with parents, we will never know. This goes further into the resources, values and cultures of the communities and societies we are born into. Those in dry regions may value natural resources, and those in abundant climates might look past the natural treasures that others fight to protect. Those born in poverty might value community more than they value individualism and privacy, luxuries they cannot fathom when the survival of the one is linked to the survival of the community. In short, we cannot decide what justice is, what our collective rights are, what our responsibilities without moving ourselves from the lives we know and the things we need are used to, already have, abhor or hold dear. Rawl says that being aware of these differences, of the luck and chance that placed us in our positions in society, is the first step to being aware of how they affect our decisions in creating laws and deciding on the rights worth upholding and protecting. This does not only apply to justice in laws, however, but it should also be applied to institutions and organizations. We see the effects of not doing this in the results within countries, organizations and institutions that favor, protect and advance one group of people over another, often out of a state of ignorance to how their beliefs, status, what they are exposed to or how they are influenced. If we are to follow a Rawlsian theory of justice, one that promotes fairness above all, 
We should be thinking about justice, rights, laws, policies and procedures from a view of ignorance. We must essentially forget who we are. We must forget our lot in life. The chance that gave us the conditions under which we were born into and consider that we could have been born as anyone else, anywhere else, with any other parents, in any other conditions. Then, and only then, can we think about justice, ethics, laws, regulations, policies and procedures fairly. Then, and only then, can we create the countries, businesses and institutions that promote just living for everyone. Without this ignorance, we have companies like Google or Facebook that have good intentions but struggle to navigate the stormy societal waters of promoting fairness above all. Without this ignorance, we have algorithms that favor one group of society. Without this ignorance, we do not think about our demands and actions in terms of their consequences on the people we could have been if not for sheer luck and yes, sometimes hard work to move away from our lot. For roles, we would create a social contract that would dictate what we would want to protect and advance without knowing who we are or how we will be impacted. We need to understand that we could be anyone and if we were someone else under some other conditions with some other life, would we be happy with what we have chosen? AI, smart technology and globalization make doing this even more important. What we are building today impacts far more people than ever before. It impacts people on the other side of the world and it impacts spread quicker and are felt more deeply. If we are developing a machine learning algorithm to catch criminals, are we aware of how our beliefs and lot in life affect what we are teaching the machines? Are we aware of the negative consequences in the biased data we are feeding our algorithm for say black or colored males? Have we put ourselves into the positions of others and more? Have we insisted on diverse views when creating these algorithms? Have we taken measures to ensure that one group or many groups are not being negatively impacted by or excluded from what we are developing? Would we be more inclined to do so if we were the people being excluded or negatively impacted? Unfortunately, there is not a large portion of the already sidelined who are creating laws, policies, procedures or algorithms and up until now that has been very obvious in the world we see. We still have not figured out how to distribute the benefits of the Industrial Revolution, the first one, to almost 75% of the planet. Some people live in abundance and some live with nothing. It is time to consider that the people who are leading the world, whether in government, research or business, are the people deciding in some way who gets what, how they get it, where it will be available, who even knows enough about it to affect or ask for it and who is sidelined. We continue to protect ourselves and with the same kinds of people who have the power to create and sustain abundance, how do we get to a place of fairness if not from a veil of ignorance? That being said, there are many benefits for all of society that smart technology has enabled for us. Let us look at AI applications supported by IoT, augmented reality, nanotechnology and robotics that are aimed at and improving society for everyone starting from a place of seeking balance and are already doing so as also clearly demonstrated in the previous chapters and many examples in our everyday lives 
such as streamlining processes and task optimization, reduction of human error, solving pain points, improved customer service experience, personalized service delivery, information at our fingertips, personalized education, precision medicine and healthcare, and advancing human knowledge. However, how do we ensure that the technologies used for these specific things are not used for other, more precarious means? AI needs data, huge amounts of data, all kinds of data, in order to give us the seamless, intuitive intelligence that could vastly improve every aspect of our lives. However, this is where it gets tricky. How much data are we willing to give? How much privacy are we willing to give away? Who would we allow to listen to us, watch and analyze our every move, if anyone? For what purpose would we allow it? And how much control would we insist on having over its outcomes? The Chinese, as major players in the AI space, are willing to give up some amount of privacy for convenience, while the Europeans, Americans and many other Western societies are not, or are not yet. We still cannot agree on, even amongst closed circles, how we are to balance privacy and convenience in an ethical debate. While Western societies debate, stall, and create laws that protect our data, the Chinese can take the lead in the wave of perception AI due to the vast amounts of data it is able to collect. This leads to huge amounts of convenience when performing everyday tasks and access to better services, also in spheres such as education. The potential and positive outcomes of giving away our privacy are boundless, but the chances for it to be used against us are boundless too. In Future Politics, Jamie Suskind says the digital is political and strongly argues for the key role political systems, law, legislation and regulation should play in ensuring that these smart digital systems are kept accountable and in check as they are driving towards increased control over society and have the power to influence, persuade, manipulate and filter our perceptions of the world as more data is gathered about us. An example of this type of manipulation and influencing people was Cambridge Analytica's use of AI and Facebook's data, amongst others, in political advertising such as the 2016 US presidential campaign where an image of a candidate was projected and customized to the biases, preferences and prejudices on a personalized level. The Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, shows how major technology and social media companies such as Facebook, Google and Twitter with their AI-driven digital systems encourage addiction to their platforms for financial gain, how people are influenced and manipulated as well as its role in politics, mental health and the spreading of conspiracy theories. Facebook has countered that the documentary buries substance in sensationalism and gives a distorted view of social media platforms and not consider the steps that is taken to navigate through difficult and complex societal problems by helping to protect people's privacy, reducing content that could drive polarization, protect the integrity of elections, and fighting fake news, misinformation, and harmful content. That said, there is a definite concern about surveillance capitalism where personal data is commoditized with the core purpose of profit-making as we have seen with high precision and personalized targeted sales and marketing. In the age of surveillance capitalism, Shoshana Zuboff examines the extraordinary power of surveillance capitalism 
and how major technology players and corporations predict and control users' behavior through increasing data extraction and analysis, offering more tailored and personalized services through digital platforms and using technological infrastructure, computer monitoring and automation for new contractual forms and continuous experimentation on their customers. Zuboff has compared surveillance capitalism with industrial capitalism, where the former exploit human nature and the latter exploit nature itself. She advocates that if the digital future is our home, that we take control and be masters of information and not make it our slaves. Mass surveillance systems using AI-driven facial recognition technology is another big concern that threatens country-level and global freedoms and can easily lead to electronic police states or even totalitarianism. Although countries deploy these smart surveillance systems to protect their security, confront terrorism, and prevent social unrest or crime, the violation of privacy rights and loss of political and civil freedoms are some of the key worries. Federal and national governments are increasingly investing in these systems that monitor citizens and interpret their activity and behavior. We have also seen resistance in cities such as San Francisco, where the use of facial recognition technology by municipalities and law enforcement has been banned. In countries like China, mass surveillance with support of their local tech giants has expanded under the China Internet Security Law with facial recognition technology made compulsory for accessing services like public transport and communication networks. Also linked to mass surveillance, the Chinese government is also using AI for their social credit system to provide a trustworthiness rating of its citizens by collecting fiscal and government data and doing analytics on their social behaviors. It has also been reported that China uses mass surveillance systems to subdue minorities and suppress citizens. On the other hand, the efficiency of China's mass surveillance system has also been demonstrated during the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic for health surveillance purposes. In a Forbes article, Steve Denning has described the pandemic as the great accelerator that is both speeding up positive and negative trends in society, governments and business. He emphasizes on the negative side how the limits of civil rights are being tested by aspiring authoritarians and public bailouts being diverted for political purposes and on the positive side the shift to digital and virtual work and education and the acceleration of organizational adaptation. We have also seen significant differences in adaptability by governments in dealing with the coronavirus, which leads to outcomes that vary accordingly from both a health and economic perspective. AI will play a key role to help the agile to survive in this new age being ushered in.